0: Welcome everyone back to another episode of Spidories. I am Bailey Gates and I'm here with my co-host. Hi Ed. And we are so excited today because we have our very first teacher on the podcast and we have been trying to get this to happen for a while. We are so excited to have Stephanie on today. She is actually um, a high school teacher she has ten years of experience in education, but a really cool thing about Stephanie is that she has worked in three of the largest districts in the United States. And so we are so excited to just kind of like pick her brain and ask all the things, like every question we can think of related to that. And so Stephanie, we are so excited to have you. Thank so you excited! So much for joining us. Oh no, I'm just so excited to be here. That's so cool that y'all are doing like a podcast. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, well, so I'm high and above me, or I don't know how she is on your screen,
0: but this is Bailey. (laughs) Nice (laughs) to meet you, officially. Officially, I haven't met you on Twitter for years though, so. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That's a lot, I guess. Well, it's funny. I love the education community on Twitter. It's so great. I'm so grateful for y'all.
1: Yeah, well, what's funny is we were talking about Bailey and I kept saying like we want so how we how I even reached out to you Stephanie was Bailey and I were talking about how we wanted to get somebody on that has lived in different states because a lot of the people that we've had guests are just from Houston. So like, they just stay here. Mm-hmm. Like we all, we only know here and we do have like people in Kansas and stuff, but it's different. You've worked yeah. in some really large districts. And so we were like, yeah. we want to get a teacher and baby's like, Oh my gosh, I know somebody on Twitter. And I was like, I was thinking of the same person. And she's like, do you know who I'm talking about? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to say her name because I don't, we don't have consent <laughs> yet. Like I was like, we'll, we'll just reach out first before we bring her on and actually say her name. So we're so glad that you decided to come on. So, um, oh my God, no, no this is from-
0: great. Yeah.
1: yeah. You're our first teacher. You're mm-hmm. our first like educator yeah. on. So we're I'm so, so excited to have you. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on. I want you to introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit just about your background, where you're from, whatever you're willing yeah. to share.
0: Yeah. Um, so I am Stephanie Paz. I am a high school English teacher. I currently teach in um, Los Angeles Unified School District. Um, This is my first year in LAUSD. And prior to that, I have taught in New York City public schools, as well as um, a larger school district in Houston. Um, So this is my 10th year teaching and I, I love it. Oh my
1: gosh. So we're all about the same age, I think, 10 years in education. Yeah. I think this is my 11. Yeah. So that's it. That's really exciting. So, where are you originally from, though? Are you from Houston?
0: Houston. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Born and raised. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's okay. So, then
1: that will help with our next like our very, yes, it's actually
0: perfect it's because related. our last question will fit in with that, but it's yeah. okay. So it, you said that you're in, you're working right now in LA unified, you worked in New York and then you worked in a larger district in like the Texas area, Houston area. Um, what are the similarities that our next question, it kind of flowed perfectly, but what are the similarities in between the districts you worked in being larger districts? And then what are some of the things that you saw as big differences between these three districts? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I think New York City is always going to be one that stands out. I don't think that there's another school district on the planet quite like it, just judging by the sheer size. It's the largest public school district in the country. It's all five boroughs, it's not broken Uh up in any type of way. Like I know in Houston, for example, they break out, um, you know, they're cut out of certain neighborhoods and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for Los Angeles Unified. Um, Los Angeles Unified is the second largest school district, I believe in the country, but there are, there are significant parts that are cut out. It reminds me a lot of things that Mm -hmm. I've seen in Texas. Um, but the sheer size of New York city definitely stands out and that can make it, you know, a really wonderful place to work in terms of resources and funding and all of these things that, um, are great and things that we need for public schools, but it also posed a lot of unique challenges just because it was really hard, I think, to, um, kind of like any type of vision that was held by the Department of Education in New York City, it was really hard to kind of scale it out to the way that it needed to be to reach all five boroughs and to be equitable and all of these things that we're trying to do in any school district across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of how they operate, so Los Angeles Unified is similar to a lot of the school districts in in texas where you have a democratically elected school board representing the communities that they serve um whereas in new york it's actually under mayoral control and it's really interesting it was it was a complete culture shock for me in a lot of ways because although it seems you know, it seems convenient for the city to operate in that way, like all the city services are under the mayor, and, and that can, you know, be convenient in different ways. However, it almost felt like every time we got a new mayor, all of the priorities would shift, the mayor has yeah. the power to um, appoint a chancellor, which is essentially like the superintendent of the school yeah. district. But it's like, anytime we had a new mayor, we would have a new superintendent or a new chancellor. Mm-hmm. And so it it felt like whiplash a little bit. And I was only in New York for five years and it's still, we went through two mayors and it was just a lot. So that part, I'm definitely not a fan of mayoral control. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, yes, the mayor is elected through a democratic process, but it's very different when you elect a school board and school board members for certain regions and neighborhoods. And so, Absolutely. yeah, it was it was very different. And I think those were the two biggest changes, um, just transitioning from, where I was in Houston to New York City. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that had the biggest impact on me as a teacher on the ground.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And have you I, always, you're doing high school English in LA Unified. Um, is that like, have you always taught high school or what other areas have you taught? Yeah, always high school English. It's really? always been high school English. I love that. Yeah. love yeah. Is there a I, reason I why?
1: Be... Like, did yeah, did you always wanna be a teacher, English teacher?
0: Um, I always loved reading and writing. So I think that that was just the most natural leap for me when I was trying to decide what type of teacher I wanted to be. i didn't even I didn't think I wanted to be a teacher until very late into high school. Mm-hmm. but um, yeah, so I've done variations. I think, you know, they always try to make English teachers do the reading intervention and different things that so I've taught variations of that kind of thing. Like I've taught speech and I've taught reading and I've taught English. Um, And writing or like creative writing courses and electives and things like that but for the most part yeah it's just literacy which i love i love doing it yeah i love that
1: yeah i this is off topic but well on topic but off topic did you move to new york during covid or like right before right
0: before oh my gosh (laughs) it was yeah it was crazy i moved it to new york city in 2019 and COVID was obviously 2020. So Mm -hmm. I had one normal semester of teaching in New York and then COVID hit um, in that March of 2020. And New York City was also like the epicenter of COVID. I I mean, absolutely, right? yeah. It was crazy. I'm assuming you had to go
1: to virtual teaching, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, we did. It was good, I think, you know, The transition, good in the sense that we made the most of it, you know, I don't think Mm that the the transition was flawless by any means for any district anywhere, but I think that my school in particular, our students didn't have access to laptops, we were, I I taught in the South Bronx, which is historically like a lower income neighborhood, Um, our students didn't have the same access to technology that other districts in the city had. And so it was definitely a struggle to even get them access to those resources a lot of our students yeah. didn't have internet they didn't so we had to get the hotspots we had to get the the laptops yeah. and roll that out as quickly as possible which I know a lot of school districts across the country had to also do um yeah. and so that was definitely a struggle but our school was very well organized i also worked at a smaller school uh in the bronx so it was you know maybe 450 students and so it was a little more manageable, I think, because mm-hmm. of that. I know that mm-hmm. when I was teaching in Texas, some of the high schools are huge. they are thousands of students. And so I can't imagine yeah. trying to scale it out in that way. That but way. yeah, I think I think we did the best we could. And I was really proud of our school for the way that we managed it. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, that's amazing.
0: Wild. I know, Haiyan, you and I were still working together um, mm-hmm. during COVID, when COVID yeah. hit, and- like kind of to what you were speaking about, Stephanie, we, and we were both an admin at this point, but, yeah, um, hi, and I remember us trying to like consolidate and figure out like which kids don't have laptops for like the mm-hmm. whole district. So sending out all these surveys and cross referencing to make sure we're not giving like four laptops to a kiddo who's okay. principal and their speech <gasps> therapist and their deaf ed teacher yes. and their OT had said like, Hey, that, you know, and so it was just like first getting all the kids and then getting the materials, like getting those hotspots, those laptops took forever. And then once we got them, like, hi, and I think I joked about it. I was like, I am literally door dashing laptops. Like, I'm I like, mean, you were, yeah. This is what we're going to do. Cause I don't know how else to get these to these kids. And like, there were some places that put together like pickup centers, but then there was the stress because it was like, but there's COVID. Like, how are we going to do this in a way that's not going to impact and, you know, potentially put someone at risk. And so I know even like in that district, that was insane. So I'm just thinking like on a larger, even bigger scale, yeah. Yeah. what that would look like. I would just, yeah, that's it. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, because it was, it hit New York so severely, so quickly. And we were mm-hmm. kind of the first city in the country to New be York. wrestling with that on that level. It was also just like, I just remember feeling like everything was on fire. I mean, our students were dealing with very real, situations after covid mm-hmm. they were having family members getting very sick or dying mm-hmm. or caretaker and so it was just like yeah. the laptops were so important but there were also so many other things going on that were that just way more life altering yeah. yeah and so yeah. given everything i think you know everybody just tried to make the most of it and people were being resourceful like you said like we were yeah. dashing laptops or we were doing mm-hmm. whatever we could and i think that was such a testament to how much we were dedicated to our school communities and So, yeah, that's why I say I think we did the best we could. And I think everyone did a really great job on the school level at that. time. Yeah, that's amazing.
1: So uh, before I get into this next question, you said you mentioned something about New York having districts. So was it kind of like how Texas was where it kind of divided into regions like north, south, east and west? Is that essentially what you were saying? yeah
0: they have different so they have the five boroughs like brooklyn bronx queens um but then they also within each of the boroughs because even the boroughs are so large they have little mini districts just by geographical area um and so every borough has different numbers so it's like we were part of district 9 and then there was district 10 Mm -hmm. 11 and 12 right next to us in the bronx and then the other number i forget how many there were total there were a lot okay (laughs) Okay, I, all I, I, I could think of when you said District 9, 10, 11, and 12 is I was like, this is giving Hunger Games was like, Yeah, <laughs> literally. I mean, it during COVID, it, it definitely yeah, felt like, like that. Is this the Hunger Games? What? Yeah. What?
1: So yeah. you, so like, since you're saying district-wise, and so again, it falls under the mayor, essentially, and the chancellor. But like, I think about the district that we essentially all kind of know each other from. And I still see inequities in between, obviously, an East school versus a West school. Like, you, I guess you kind of hit on that. So you're essentially saying, like, New York is kind of the same, right? Like, where resources might not be the same at one campus versus another. Okay. That's unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. Especially the Bronx.
0: And I will, like, go to bat for the Bronx all day, every day, just because I (laughs) saw the disparity so blatantly every day. And I knew how it was impacting our kids. Um, And so it it, it was, it was definitely like that in other parts of the city as well. But there was just such a clear disparity between the schools that were in Manhattan, in the wealthier parts of Manhattan, like the Upper West Side or the Lower East Side or the Upper East Side, just these parts that traditionally historically have always had more affluent community members. Yeah, especially in Manhattan and I think being from Texas, you don't always see the wealth disparity the way you see it in New York City. I mean, it's just True. aggressively in your face in New York City. Yeah. And so I think seeing that and then seeing how it impacted the school system was always really disheartening. Um,
1: yeah. And the Bronx,
0: the Bronx definitely got the short end of the stick in a lot of ways. And that was always really frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I just no, think that's- it's so crazy to just like, um, obviously you see it on like a really large scale in these large districts, right? So LA, New York, Houston area, like you see that, but I'm even thinking of like, I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. There's like 250,000 people. And I can clearly say like, Oh yeah, the schools on the East side of town don't have as many resources as the schools on the West side of town. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, first off, it's always somehow split East and West. That's something yes. I, don't I don't understand why, but to like, just, nationally i feel like we have so many districts dealing with this inequity issue and like how do you how do you fix it i don't know like it's just really sad in large cities and smaller cities like it just across the board with public education yeah Yeah. you
1: know i think the reason why it's so sad too is because like we're aware of it because we see it internally but like Mm -hmm. parents are too like i have conversations with parents where they're like i'm moving because I need a better school, and like that's so sad to me to think that mm-hmm. like, and that's when you run into like families that have to use another person's address to get into this school. dish like and you, that's like reality for people, and I don't think others understand that. When you live in a
0: very nice neighborhood and you go, you're zoned to that
1: school already, so it is kind of sad. It does make me sad, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. But- well, and, yeah, and I remember that even being a fight when when I was teaching in Texas as well, it was like all down to your zip code, which is the case for a lot of school districts across the country. Yeah. And in New York, it was interesting. They do kind of almost like a lottery type system, depending on what school it is and that kind of thing. But you're not necessarily zoned. You do have a zone school if that's what you need, but you're also mm-hmm. able to apply to any school in the city. So if you yeah. live in the Bronx, you can apply to a school in Manhattan. It might take you an hour to get there on the train, but you can do it yeah um, and so it was always kind of pitched as being more equitable but then as you work in the system you realize oh no there's screen schools and there's this and there's this obstacle and like you know your likelihood of getting in if you're from the Bronx is so low and, and just you know mm-hmm. obstacle after obstacle after obstacle so I think even mm-hmm. even when it's like we try to make it more equitable through a lottery system or whatever we yeah. are saying works um, I, I think there's always going to be that kind of equity issue if we have yeah. segregated neighborhoods and we have yeah. all these other social issues that play into the play into the school systems. Yeah. It's all connected. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Okay, so our next question for you is like do you have any experience I think you talked about this a little bit just with me but um, any experience with serving students with
0: special needs in any of the districts that you worked at? Yeah, um in Texas we, I did a little bit, Um, but I think I got the most experience working with our special education students in the Bronx, for sure. I, our school was, I want to say between 30 and 40% of our students oh, had wow. IEPs. It was a significant wow. number. And, you know, the Bronx generally has a pretty significant percentage of students who have IEPs. And wow. again, that's, you know, tied to a myriad of social, other social issues that we have yeah. in the world and wow. all that. But um it was significant. And, New York City does do um, an ICT model, which is integrated co-teaching model for uh, special education, which was completely new to me because that was not something we did in Texas. And so it was very unfamiliar, but I did love it. I thought it was, you know, in theory on paper, I can completely understand why that would be most beneficial for our students and provide them with the highest quality education, least restrictive environment, all of that. I really, really loved it. I think that the same obstacles that exist for special education training and, and, you know, teaching and was still a problem in New York, for sure. We definitely did not have enough special education teachers. And then, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the ones that we had, the training programs that they went through were kind of these expedited trainings that were not, you know, they, you know, they weren't done with fidelity, which is something I saw in Texas. And that was really unfortunate because ultimately our students have to pay the cost in that. Um, Yeah. But, But the model itself, I was a huge fan of. Um, As far as I know, now I work at a school where it's a very newly founded school. It was just founded Mm -hmm. last year. It's very tiny. Yeah, it's like 75 kids. It's a magnet. So I do not have as many kids with IEPs this year. I only have a few. Um, But yeah, the Bronx, I think, really, really challenged me to grow as a teacher. And that was largely in part because of how many students with IEPs that I had. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: I was going to say, is there anything that you can speak to in regard, because like just coming from the special ed side, paperwork is like a disaster, uh-huh. not even a disaster. It's just a lot, right? It's like paper yeah. after paper after paper. Like how was that for you, knowing that like not only did you have students in your classroom that had IEPs, but you also, I mean, you had students that were um, typical developing and how, like how how difficult or how easy was it for you to teach that group of students when you know that there's a variety granted everybody knows there's a variety of students but like in your sense I guess
0: yeah um honestly it would depend on the mix of students you had and what the mix Mm -hmm. of the disabilities were because I mean like I think so New York City for example has a very strong union Texas does not allow collective bargaining in any way shape or Mm -hmm. form (laughs) um legally and so yeah um in an ICT class, I think the union says that the number of students with IEPs cannot exceed 40% of the total class. So I think oh, it was that's like- Oh, great. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, on, on th- in theory, on paper, it was great. Um, you couldn't have, I think it was around 12 students. More mm-hmm. oh, wow. than 12 students in a class. Um, and so New York as a state and as a city and also the union, they do a really good job, I think, of trying to make it manageable. The mm-hmm. problem is, is that even with those restrictions that are supposed to be followed, they get broken and they're not followed. Yeah. And yeah. every school I knew of was out of compliance. Every class oh, gosh. was out of okay. So I mean, yeah, it was yeah. it was it was common, you know. And I had yeah, I felt that way in Texas also. Like, hey, aren't we out of compliance? Yeah, we are, but there's nothing we can do. So <laughs> keep it pushing. But that that's how it felt in New York. Also. Yeah. So. Um, And so, yes, I do think that I had the extra support. So I was the content teacher for English. And then I had a special education teacher in the room as well. The obstacle, the main obstacle, I think, with that, though, was that some of the teachers, the special education teachers would be in every content area. So in high school, Mm -hmm. you have, you know, a bunch of different classes and students have eight classes in a day. So you may have a special education teacher who is maybe sees that one student once in one class all day and then Mm -hmm. is in. Four or five different content areas the rest of the day so not only do they have to know many more students they also have to know all of these all different the content and keep up yeah. with the, yeah so it was just That's completely un, it was unmanageable it was unsustainable mostly for the special education teachers like i really yeah. i really felt for them because it was not set up for them to be successful
1: yeah um
0: and so I think that that's really what made it hard is we didn't have mm-hmm. enough. The system was just not set up for us to be successful. Yeah. And yeah, we didn't have enough plan planning time. We didn't have enough, you know, sometimes they didn't always have the content area expertise in order to plan what they needed for differentiation or yeah. whatever. And so, yeah, the list goes on and on. But I think that was really, it was less about the students and it was more about just what we were able to actually feasibly do for yeah. the yeah. students. Mm-hmm. And I think the lack of planning, made it hard to do what we needed to do in that class. And so I think that's really where we saw the issues happen is if we had had more planning time, maybe this lesson would have gone better, or maybe the student wouldn't have been struggling as much as they had been and that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Do you feel like the way that they held IEP meetings there were different than here in Texas? Well, for one, we call it ARDS here in Texas, and I know that they don't do that anywhere else. (laughs)
0: They do not. I mean... Oh my gosh, the amount of terms that I would try to use, like yeah. in New York, I would get the craziest looks. Just yeah. being like, <laughs> I'd be "Like, what are you talking what are you about?" Saying? Or right. even just like our, I think in Texas it was called like the appraisal system. And yeah, for teachers, New yeah. Yorkers, New Yorkers think that that is the most hysterical thing ever. They just like your your worth is being evaluated. Your value. Yeah, it well, was. What I mean, do they, they say in New York? Just uh, it's just like your development, like your teacher development, like it's <laughs> I I it does seem much nicer. nicer. I like it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so, I, but yes. Anyway, the IUP meetings, I think, ultimately were the same. They felt the same. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, I think again that varies from school to school. I think it depends on who's running your department. I think the one thing I will say is that when I say that they were run in similar ways it also meant that sometimes the meetings that needed to happen didn't always happen or sometimes we couldn't get the parent in and so it would be a phone call when it was like something that I felt really warranted the parent being there in person or just I mean just so many other things but again I saw that I see that in special education across the country yeah
1: yeah Yeah.
0: Absolutely. absolutely I think yeah just looking at I know you were saying like the system wasn't set up to really support Specialized teachers because they have to know all this content and all the specialized instruction components and their caseloads are huge and like I think that is everywhere as well so I just think yeah. like the system of special education is not set up to be successful um I think that's why we have so many vacancies right now but <laughs> next <Yeah>. question <laughs> Oh no, yeah. um but considering like all of your experience and looking at these really large urban school districts what is advice that you would give to an educator I mean gen ed special ed whatever um about working in a large school district and how to like really make an impact in such a large place um that's a good question I think one thing that drove me to even look at other school districts was me feeling like we weren't doing enough in Texas to learn from other states and other cities and other school districts like I remember thinking it was early in my career it was my first five years of teaching that I was in Texas. So I was new. And you know, mm-hmm. when you're a new teacher, you're so curious about why things work the way they work. And you have so much energy to like, fix everything and you want to save yeah. the world and all all of these admir- admirable things. Um, but I was in that headspace at the time. And I remembered just being like, wait, so why does New York do X, Y, and Z and LA does this and Chicago does this and I was also entering a grad school program at the time for my admin license, and I was in a grad school program in New York with people from all over the country. And so these were teachers from all these major school districts that knew all of these things that I had never learned before. And so I was really intrigued by that and Mm -hmm. learning more about what they were already doing. They had answers to problems that I was trying so hard to solve, and I just never even thought of them as a resource. And so I think that would be. One of the biggest things is that we all have very similar problems. They may not be the same, but they are very similar. And I think, I wish that there was more of a community, not just for teachers, but also like principals and board members and every person involved in a school system. I wish that there was an easier way for us to connect with one another and share resources and share information because I do think that we are often siloed into our own communities and we don't reach out enough for support Mm -hmm. um and that's partially because we're all very overwhelmed and that's understandable but that would be my first thing and then my second thing would be to advocate and Mm -hmm. i don't just mean that on a school level and again i completely acknowledge that this is very hard to do and um can be even harder depending on your level of privilege and things like that but i know in texas that was a big thing for me Mm -hmm. That i you know i work in a high i worked in a high school and so our kids are older they're about to become more politically active and civically engaged and start voting and doing all of these things. And so um, it, it was first in Texas that I started to put together all these pieces of, oh, okay, this system is actually connected to this system. And the reason my students are struggling with this, the root cause of this is actually poverty or this or that or that. And I think starting to connect those dots actually helped me become more civically engaged and helped me become more aware of the root causes of some of the issues our, our kids were having. Um, and I, I think it just motivated me to try and get involved with my community a little bit more outside of my school. So I would go to board meetings, I would try and have relationships with my board members and actually know who they were and understood what they stood for and mm-hmm. how they were advocating and supporting us at the system level. And that helped me make a better understanding of what was actually happening in our school. And I think- yeah that can be really hard to do and it, there's, you know, every school district is different, but those yeah. would be my two things. I love that. I do too.
1: I So I have a, like a another question. Do you know anything about, like, Um, I was talking to Bailey about this and we had a lot of parents that will come from New York to Texas and they will always say like, what is this? Like when we try to do an <laughs> IEP, <laughs> they're always like, what are you trying to give me? Like, this is not the same as New York. And- Oh really? Yeah. And I've had lot, like, and it's a couple, like I shouldn't, it's not even one, but like, I've had a couple parents say that like New York and granted, I'm sure it might be like the area in which they're from and whatnot, but they're like, New York was had like the best special education services I've ever received. And, mm-hmm. and they would always like compare. Cause again, like they would be coming here and we'd be like cutting things in half. And of uh, the time, or, well, I mean, not me, I'm just saying like the, the system. Yeah. Don't know yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah let me clarify but um so they would do that but do you feel like like I mean obviously I know you're like in the Bronx but like for example what I've always heard is like if a a disability doesn't drive them like services so you can have you know a speech impairment but then you can get all these resources like did you see that in your school by any chance
0: yeah would you know sure oh you did I, I mean, She's well, like, so, yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it, Texas? Right, it does. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Is it's like it's, this is more of a state thing, yes. than Anything else like that is just a blue state, red state thing. To be totally honest with you, because I think you know, like the actual concept of the meeting was very similar and all of that stuff, but in terms of sheer number of like services and mm-hmm. resources and support systems, yeah, New York is so much better than texas in every way possible in terms of okay. what they have to offer in that okay yeah. well i just that. like high end when stephanie was talking about like oh yeah in new york they have the system set up for this integrated co-teaching and like that's yeah. just what they do i was thinking about um a family that reached out uh just, a, I guess it was like a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, and they were moving their deaf and hard of hearing kid from New York to Texas. And so, like, I was explaining, like, here's what, you know, those kind of services look like, this and that. And she was like, that's so different. And I, like, when you started talking to Stephanie about the integrated co-teaching, I was like, that that's component what? of it, that is so, Huge. like in an IEP, I I was like, that is an astronomical amount of minutes, like special ed minutes, right? Because it's literally a co-teaching class basically all day where you're getting like kind of that specialized instruction. And so I was like, no wonder she was like, I'm sorry, what? What is that going to be? You know, like, it's just
1: very different.
0: Yeah. We get a lot of parents
1: that, that say that. So thank you for clarifying because that's why I was like, I need somebody who does not live in Texas to tell me
0: we are not crazy, but Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. No, you're not. I'm sorry. (laughs) Earlier, when you asked that question, I thought you meant like the structure of the actual meeting. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty similar. But yeah, the sheer number of services that are available. Yeah,
1: it's well, I I was actually really wanting to know like how the IEP meetings ran. So it's nice to hear that. Like when I first moved to Texas, I worked in a, a like a suburb district. And they those were like very structured, like we had an art facilitator. She took care of all the dogs. Like it was just, I was, that's what I was used to. And then I went to another district and the first IEP meeting I went to, the teacher was just like, nobody talk more than one minute. Cause oh I want this to be done in 10 minutes. And I was like, Ex- like what? <laughs> that's, uh, excuse me. Like And yeah. And he just started off and was like, your kid's doing great. Do you have any questions? And I was like, where am I like this is not how it's supposed (laughs) to be run so again like you said it's like it's based on districts it's based on even schools at the district level and like the amount of training you've gotten and all that stuff but so it's Mm -hmm. just interesting to see
0: that also Um, one thing that makes me laugh about what you just said is it's those kind of art meetings too where it's like they haven't even given the parent a draft (laughs) copy of the IEP and they're like, yeah. I'd like to get this done in 30 minutes, even though we are going to talk about the next entire academic year of your right. child's life. He's doing great. You have any questions? Okay, we're done. And it's like, the parents are like, wait, why is eighth grader working on a second grade goal? Right. Know. Yes. You know, it just, it's those kind of things procedurally that just, I hate it so I, much. Cringe, cringeworthy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, well, then, and then you also think about like, I remember like going to meetings and it would just be like me and the parent. And I'm like, I, I can't proceed. I, this is not really constitute like, so it's just things like that. I'm like, and that, and that was a district. I mean, that was one of the schools and then you, you go to another area in the the district and and that's not how it's done. They have Mm -hmm. every team, you know? So it's just, it's very interesting for sure. The level of, I think, um, understanding about like how like special education is, there's laws behind it and whatnot, but like the level of understanding and then just the, I don't want to say that they don't care because I feel like they also just don't know that it's that serious, if that makes sense. So anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. Um, My my, my, love, this is the the last question we have in regards to education. The next ones are just going to be a little bit fun. But do you have a special education story or a teacher story that just like, you'll always remember, warms your heart um, or makes you angry or laugh? anything
0: oh my gosh I tried really hard to like think of one I'm horrible at these types of things like singling out one moment that just like really encapsulates you know how beautiful yeah. teaching is and all of those things I think for the most part I I will always remember my time in the Bronx like I I cannot convey enough how underserved and under-resourced the Bronx is and I think I'm very grateful for having taught in the Bronx because of the things that my students were able to teach me during that time, especially my students with disabilities, just because I think it opened up my eyes in like to understand how differently people can learn and what that means for us as educators and how we need to teach and how we should approach teaching. Um, And I think, you know, I can think of one student in particular in the Bronx who she would wear me out because she was just all over the place all the time. She always wanted to like be up and about and walking around. And she, I mean, she ran the school, like everybody was like, letting her do whatever she wanted, but she had an (laughs) IEP. And my whole thing, like the whole struggle all year with her was like trying to get her reevaluated. I wanted her to have a para. I wanted her to have these things that I knew she needed because yes, she couldn't sit still, but there were also things that I, I really thought that she would benefit Significantly from having someone just sit with her, because anytime I was able to sit with her, we had a great time and like we got a lot done. She was able to learn so much. And she, I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't sat one on one with her. And I think Mm -hmm. that was the first time that I had ever really been had that opportunity to sit one on one with students who had significant learning disabilities and on top of other things, right? Because I teach high school. So by the time they get to me, it's a lot of them, and not that they can't when they're younger, but a lot of them have already gone through a lot. And yeah, they absolutely. are dealing with very adult problems in high school. And she was one of those students who was, and she had, you know, she was dealing with a lot emotionally, socially, and then on top of everything had a very significant learning disability that made it hard for her to engage with learning. And it wasn't because she wasn't smart or because she wasn't able or because she she just literally needed certain things to help make the learning environment more appropriate for her and Mm -hmm. it just it was impossible i like i just think that was probably the student that i think about most often since leaving just because the needs were so severe and i tried my hardest to get her everything that i could possibly get her and it just wasn't enough yeah and And that's just because of how the system works and how certain things are set up. And we were, we're all exhausted as individuals and we can only advocate so much before the powers that be either say yes or no. Right. And so I think that was something that was really, really disheartening for me on a lot in a lot of ways, but I think it it was something that opened my eyes and it made me want to fight a little bit harder in terms of policy around that area yeah. and, and just helping understand the the landscape a little bit better and, and fighting for more accountability and transparency with these systems. And I think high schoolers, especially, I was always shocked at how few of them understood their IEPs or even mm-hmm. knew like when they were up for, you know, a reevaluation or when, and she didn't know any of these things. And yeah. so, yeah. The amount of conversations I had to have with students around like, this is your right. Do you understand that you are entitled to this, this and this and yeah. you should advocate for yourself and you need to like, and and so, yeah, I guess all of that to say, although it was disheartening, I do think it, it will always stay with me. And I think it will always push me to be a better teacher. And I hope that people will, that will resonate with people and help them understand how unfair the system can be and how yeah. we might be able to advocate for it as professionals as well.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I like it was. It's actually interesting when you talk about um high school students. Like I, I think, and Bailey, I think you're you're, you and I are kind of the same. We love our like itty bitties. Like we love the early childhood. We love elementary age. But it wasn't until like I started working like in a nonprofit where it was like you're preparing students for college and stuff. And I can't I can't remember. It was like maybe three or four years into my career as a speech pathologist, and I had. A high school and a couple of the kids that I worked with, like one of the kids was like, you know, I graduate next year, I want to get a job. And I said, great. Like, what about a resume? Like, do you have a resume? He said, no. And so I had worked with his English teacher at the time to like, say like, Hey, I don't know if like, this is what you guys are working on in English class, but I'd love to help him. Like, if you guys ever go to the computer lab. So he did. And he did not know how to type like he did not like, and it's crazy to me too, because I think about like phones and stuff. But a computer is different. I mean, the keys are different. Learning yeah. to enter learning how to do a format, like he just didn't know how to do that. And I remember him, like looking at me, and he was like, I really wish that you were a teacher. And it made me really sad, because he does have a teacher, right. And it's not mm-hmm. to say that she's not good by any means. But like, I do think that like, high school students can sense like who's gonna pour into them like who really cares about them and so for him like it just made me sad because I'm like oh my god you're going to go to, to the real world like after this like you have to go somewhere other than high school and like what do you have to succeed essentially mm-hmm. and so then like that kind of that was like kind of my turning point where it was like yeah I do love my itty bitties but it's really important to also pour into the high school students because eventually they leave and they have to be productive citizens that's what we want right, and so kudos to you for doing that work because i know it has to be hard high school students nowadays i'm sure are rough Mm
0: -hmm. yeah it's such a it's so high school is is definitely a unique situation i could i think truly my mom was a a pre-k teacher and so i i could never do the babies i (laughs) i think that that is the hardest job in the world um and high school does come with its own challenges as well but i think like the hardest thing for high school for me is just coming to terms with the fact that even me teaching ninth grade. Okay, I have four years, right? Like to get you prepared for everything Mm -hmm. that life can throw at you. And seeing what they would come to me with versus what I needed to be expected to do in four years was impossible. And so yeah, like knowing and and even just like our students that, for example, like students who maybe struggled with like their regulating their emotions or anything that would be more understandable or more appropriate for a younger child to do right if they're still doing that at the high school level now the stakes are much higher if you go outside and you don't and you struggle to manage your anger or your emotions or your responses to situations and let's say you resort to violence or whatever right okay that now yeah. means you could, could go to jail right like the, the mm-hmm. stakes yeah. are just so much higher um, yeah. especially you know for we were in the Bronx we were in a heavily police area right. we were we, we taught at a school that was black and brown students. So it's it was all of the things combined. And I think that's something that often goes overlooked in um, in special education as well, like even during the IEP meetings, like talking about the impact of what yeah. this could have and like what that should look like for young adults who are going to go into the world. And, you know, even whether it's like the workforce, like you were saying, right? Yeah. I remember even the college counselor meeting with our students and, you know, with this defeatist attitude, almost of like, well, I don't know what jobs you can do. Yeah. Right. Like I don't, and that's, that's really, really, I don't think that that's true. Right. But that's, that's the kind of like the negative stigma that we have attached to special education in a lot of ways. And yeah. you see that at the high school level. Absolutely. It's interesting because I, uh, so I actually was a middle school teacher and I love middle school. They're so fun. Oh, bless um, you. <laughs> they are, yeah, I just feel like they're at the, I've, I've told high end before, like they're at this sweet spot age where like, they still want to please you in some way, shape or form, but they're also like fun and silly and sarcastic. And so you can like really start to see that personality, but, um, you know, here in Texas and I don't, I don't know about LA or New York, but we start looking at transition and those like 18 plus considerations of, you know, career college military readiness like what do you want to do what, what do you see your future being in middle school and um it's interesting because like even as a middle school teacher and a sped teacher we were talking about that and it felt so late because I was like okay but like that's what you want to do we have six years left to do all of this, you know? And so I was doing a training in my current district for our assistant principals um, just a couple of weeks ago about how administrators are really like needing to support implementation fidelity for IEP services and like what they can do on their end. Um, and we started talking about transition and I was like, there was kind of like a group of elementary school APs who were like, I mean, I don't know, like this doesn't really impact us. And I was like, wait, 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 <laughs> like, you're the foundation. You are literally the foundation of everything this child's going to need for transition. And so I think just like as a state, we really need to focus on like those pre-K IEPs, those first, second, third grade IEPs, like, yeah, you're not talking about what job they want. I get that. But the skills that you're working on and the things that you're doing with them is building the foundation for them to be able to successfully have a post high school life And if we're not setting them up for success now, then by the time they get to middle school, by the time they get to high school, you're going to have teachers and teams who are like, how this is not possible to get this student where they need to be in four years. And like, that is on top of, like you were talking about, Stephanie, everything that our kids typically go through throughout the course of their life and all of the situations and experiences that are also like potentially holding them back, you know? And it's just like, I don't know, just making sure that we're like, we just need to make sure we're setting all the kids up for success. Basically. This is my soapbox. <laughs> no, yeah, you're <laughs> absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Feels, yeah. So we have um, asked all of the unfun questions and uh, not, yeah. unfun. this has actually been really fun. Um, but it we actually have a- has yeah we have a, a few lot. just like silly questions not related to education um but of the three very large urban cities you have lived in which is your favorite and why oh just as a city
1: yeah like, like not why?
0: schools oh, yeah not schools, i'm a houston girl oh you are I'm, i yeah i'm houston ride or die forever i think like the houston pride <laughs> gets stronger when you move away too like if yeah. you've ever lived in A different place from like where you were born and raised and you're proud of that like it just grows and grows and grows so I was definitely when I was leaving Houston I was like oh I'm so over it I'm done and then I would move to New York and I was I missed Houston so much Mm -hmm. um I think Houston is very underrated but I think the things that make me love it so much are the diversity and I do think mm-hmm. that for a city compared to other large cities we're fairly integrated like mm-hmm. I remember like even people visiting Houston when I would take them around they'd be like they'd go to an Astros game and they'd see everyone there right like whereas yeah. if you go to a baseball game in other cities like it is segregated or it doesn't look like it's representative of everyone who lives there and I just feel yeah. like that's that's very unique to Houston um, mm-hmm. and I think you know, we're a good balance of like that southern hospitality, but also yeah. like we we get stuff done and we have you know like we we stand up for what we believe in and we're fighters and all of these really beautiful things. So I'm I'm yeah. a Houston girl for sure. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Was it a also, huge shift to like go to like from driving to a like subway-ish area? Like, I don't think I could make it.
0: I with transportation. Yeah, oh, yeah so I don't really to make <laughs> it is though. Like especially after COVID, you're like, I have to commute? What is this? Um, Thank you, but Stephanie. I couldn't No, <laughs> I I totally agree. I was actually I was very sick of driving. As you guys know, like Houston um, driving is, you know That's true. Traffic like, yeah. and all that. The, yeah. yeah, it's a lot. Okay. And um I was over I was so over driving. I thought public transit was the best thing in the world when I moved to New York. Um, however, the Bronx is kind of a train desert. And so mm-hmm. that's like, you know, it, equity hits public transit too so there wasn't really a train near my school it was like a good 15 minute walk and so I did it it took me like an hour to get to work the first year I lived there and then I couldn't do it anymore so I got a car and that I ended up driving to work and it took me like 15 minutes
1: yeah oh okay god
0: I do I do love public transportation I do wish but, you know, that was something that was a little more accessible in in Houston, mm-hmm. even L.A. Honestly, it's not great here either. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a transition, but I do miss the convenience of public transportation for sure. Yeah. 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 I will say it's funny because I do, I completely agree with you, Stephanie, that like when you leave Houston, because I'm no longer living in Houston, but mm-hmm. I live in another city in Texas. And it's so funny because people bring up Houston and I'm like, I love Houston. Houston <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I'm like. And I always tell people, I'm like, I will be back in Houston, like before I know it. I don't know in what capacity or how, but
1: I know I will be,
0: and I love it so much. And also for any of our Houston listeners, go Astros, Yeah, Uh, we are hoping to clinch another World Series um, appearance, we're going to say, but yeah, Yeah. I think it's so funny when I talk to people who... Are like, oh, yeah, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Houston. I didn't, I wasn't born there, but, um, and but I didn't I'm grow up, but, there, I, but am. I am, yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> that is in my soul, yeah, yeah,
0: honorary I Houstonian. I totally exactly. get it. No, it's we're so down to earth, we're great. I genuinely, I love Houstonians, yeah, yeah, people. and I mean, like, Beyonce's from Houston, you cannot yeah. go wrong. You're like, what. Hello. I have a few famous people, actually. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, okay. sorry. <laughs> <just
1: go>. So <laughs> so our ne- are you a foodie,
0: Stephanie? Do you like food? um, I don't feel like I'm qualified to be a foodie. Like I, I see the uh, the level that people are on when it comes, like when they call themselves a foodie. I just don't think I'm. You know, I, like I don't that. think I deserve that recognition. But I do love food. I'm from Houston. Okay. We have great food. I think okay. I know good. People, so yes.
1: Okay. Sure. So we're gonna ask you. What is your top five favorite food spots? And then you have to tell us the city so since you've lived in New York and LA, I'm sure. Oh,
0: gosh. I'm so bad at stuff like this. Okay. Um, yeah. Can I say like genre, like types of food?
1: And yeah, if I think that works. Rush.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, the Thai food in New York is like next level. Houston has good say. Thai food. I yeah. love, I feel bad like naming another city before Houston truly, <laughs> even if it's New York. But <laughs> New I, York has like some the, good food. Yeah, like Jackson Heights is where we, we lived and like truly some of the best food I've ever had in my entire life. Um, the Thai food, the... I'm trying to think what else I loved in New York so much. There was like Burmese food near where we lived, which I don't think I had ever really even had before yeah, I moved I to I New York. None. Just Yeah, yeah, just a whole bunch of like Bengali food, like just so much really, really good food, especially a South Asian. Um, when I lived in Houston... I will say I'm not a fan of the Mexican food in New York. That's probably going to offend some people. I apologize, but again, from Houston, we're by the, we're by the border, yeah. like proximity to the border matters. I'm, Mexican I'm, I Mexican food really, really pretty it. solid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I I'm, I'm back in LA, the Mexican food is is on par with that of Houston. Okay. Um I'm trying to think. Taco Salabala was my favorite taco spot in Houston. It was like by my school. They have it kind of all over the city best okay. tacos in my opinion um <laughs> i trying to think vietnamese food was something i really miss houston yeah. has amazing vietnamese food new york it was hit or miss it depends on where you go it was kind of more of like the fusion-y like more bougie yeah. vietnamese food you know yeah. like in manhattan or something and you want the hole um, in the wall stuff right like i was like yeah, used yeah. to like bel-air like Chinatown, yeah. <laughs> you know like i was like that's what i want i want yeah my I like foot massage and then I want to go get my iced coffee and yeah exactly my Viet coffee everything
1: I love so it. yeah I
0: think those are my top three the Thai food in New York mixed with the Mexican food in either LA or Houston and then the Viet food in Houston it's good in, it's actually good in, in LA as well I will give it that way okay. but Houston, Houston takes the cake Okay. I love that. And I'm going to actually change the last question. Cause you kind of answered it before when you started talking about Houston, cause we were going to say like, <laughs> you know, what's your favorite thing about Houston? What do you miss the most? But you kind of talked about it. So I'm going to change the last question because so you've been in LA since like, how long have you been in LA now? Oh my God. A full year. Like since August. No, like since since August. August. Oh. So it's like <laughs> <new> <laughs> a month. It's okay, so yeah. I'm going to change the last question too. You've been in LA since August. What yeah. is like, the coolest thing about living in LA and what is something yeah. that you're like it's gonna take me a second to get used to this because I'm not sure that I like it oh the traffic's horrible like people <laughs> say the traffic's horrible and like Houston and New York obviously traffic is yeah. not great but LA is just I guess LA is more it aggravates me because it seems like a solvable problem like you yeah. guys could have a bigger highway and it would it would alleviate <laughs> some of this traffic but I have like I come from Houston where we have like six Texas yeah. in general I have, like, six lane highways we have highways yeah. everywhere just like you yeah know, build it in the sky or something like Texas yeah. um that's the thing I hate like <laughs> I it'll it. very it'll take you an hour and a half to get to the other side of LA it's awful yeah um so that's the thing I hate I would say the thing that I love is oh gosh the beach it's hard to go wrong with the beach. The weather, New York oh, winter, yeah. nearly killed me. I'm not a winter person. I'm a southerner. <laughs> yeah. Like I was yes, not Houston. ready. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I I love that there's no winter here. I'm thriving. Yeah. Yeah. I'm- <laughs> oh I love yeah. That. Oh my gosh. So, do you plan on staying there for like
1: five years? Like, is that kind of the the thing? Is five years in a city, or what? Are you
0: I... like- yeah, I don't know. Actually, I'm kind of playing it by ear. I we moved to LA just because we were like, why not? You know, we don't have yeah. this. I want to check it out. I heard really great things about LA USC, and I got a really great job offer. And I I really love my school. Like, I think this is yeah. the school that I could see myself at for a really long yeah. time. Um, so I don't know to you answer your question. Oh, I know God. my school. They want to expand my school for sure, like across the country and like open up different ones. And so. I'm hoping that maybe my, my partner's also from the city and it's really hard to take oh. a New Yorker out of New York. So oh. is what I'm, what I'm realizing. Yeah. How is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, well, and you took him yeah.
1: across country.
0: Yikes. I know. I know. He does love Houston. I just think that with education being what it is right now in Houston, like I, I don't mm-hmm. know if I could go back right now. I have to wait, yeah. I feel like, until things calm does down. Does your partner also work in education or no? he does yeah he's actually oh, yeah. he used to work for the department of education in new york city and awesome. then he was like more in the central and so he he would actually be great for your podcast if you ever yeah. want him on he's great he, Absolutely. He works, around to I'm, vo- I'm volunteering him he's great I um, him. okay i can't wait he used to be a special education teacher actually in oh. new york and oh, then you have to have him on the podcast yeah, actually he, we should
1: have had you guys together oh my god okay. we'll one. do like a
0: we'll do one with like no. we'll do one with you should do and then together. yeah I'm like I yeah no he, no he's like, great I, I think I want him to be able to say like yeah. all the things because he has he looks at things I think from a much more like macro perspective because he worked mm-hmm. in central for so oh. long and he worked for the office of equity and access in nice. uh, New York So he has like that equity lens um, that I think would be really unique and interesting. And I'm more of like the on the ground perspective and how it impacts schools. So, but yes, he would, oh my gosh, he would be happy to, for sure. Well, the podcast is like such a good idea though, you know, because I think that's part of what I was like saying is like, I wish more people talked from different parts because mm-hmm. a lot of us deal with the same things and then we just don't have the time cut out in our days to talk about it. And that's just yeah. not a normalized part of public. Yeah. End. You know, like you don't. Yeah. you don't see what's going on halfway across the country. Like that's not built up, built in your day. <laughs>
1: Well, and right. Stephanie,
0: that like actually makes me think that obviously we want to bring your partner on and talk to him, but if you have other like teacher friends or yeah. educators, whether it's like special agenda, whatever that you're like, Hey, this would be a great person to bring on. Like, please refer them to us because I do agree yeah. with you. Like, It's so cool. I was telling Diane, I was just so excited to do this one because everyone that we've talked to so far has really been in Texas. And then, yeah, there was like, I think one that had like worked in Kansas and But the majority of the people that we're talking to are here. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm so excited to see or hear like things from other states and other districts. So I please let us know. Yeah. Yeah. And also a lot of
1: the I was gonna say a lot a lot of the people that we've had on here, we we know. Like we didn't know you. So it was actually really nice to have you because it's like we know you from the Twitter world, but we haven't never talked to you.
0: Yeah, I know. And I I I always like I love twitter because i get to see all of these people like posting about things that are in my world and i feel like we don't get enough time to do that so i was very Mm -hmm. excited to do this for that reason but Mm -hmm. it's also like twitter it's like you only get like i know for me i tweet as a persona to like get public attention to like on education you know what i mean like I tweet with a very like specific specific purpose in mind yeah yeah so i don't necessarily feel like that's reflective entirely of who i am as a human being but I, I love when we get to connect like in the field mm-hmm. of education with people as human beings. Like you said, like we all, we have yeah. lives and interests and all of these things. And that's, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're so
1: grateful to have you on. We'll have to yeah, have you that's... back on. And I will message you about having your partner on too.
0: Yeah, please. If he would, will. oh my gosh, he would love to. He has more connections than I do in, in um, the DOE. But yeah, I will, he definitely will know someone like I think who knows a little bit more about the how the system works for special education. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that would be really cool to hear from someone um, who knows a little bit more about it, just because I think that the way that New York wants to do it is really, really good. I just think that the implementation of it is, you know, we don't have enough money to make all the things happen. So Mm -hmm, but in theory, if that could like be duplicated, or even just like, like, how do we, start those conversations about getting all of the services that like the parents were mentioning, right? Like, how do you yeah. get that in Texas? And I think what I was realizing too, is like, if you follow the money, it's, you can get those things in Texas, Yeah. but <laughs> it, it's going to require people to, you know, vote a certain way or agree with the, for the money going certain places. Yeah. And like, that's yeah. a struggle in Texas, but that yeah, not absolutely. all states have that same struggle. So. Right. Absolutely. Follow the money. That's like
1: the biggest yeah. thing. Um, well, thank you so much again. It was so nice to connect with you. I'll reach out and I hope you have a really good evening.
0: Thank you, you guys, too. It was lovely. Thank you so much, Stephanie. This was so fun. We, yes, uh, I loved it. Yeah, all right. Well, I will connect you with anyone I can connect you with. And I wish you luck on the podcast, I'm sure it'll be great.
1: Okay, well, we'll reach out. I'll talk to you later.
0: Thanks, Stephanie.
1: Yeah, thank you guys. Bye. Bye. I love her. Oh my gosh, me
0: too. She was so great. She is so great.
1: Yeah, I love her. That oh was my gosh. wonderful. And I'm kind of excited about her connection. Whoa. Yeah. Well,
0: and I was thinking like, I, I wasn't even thinking about her husband, but once she was like, yeah, we never get, I was like, oh my God, she probably has so many other teacher friends from like her right. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> she has so many people that follow her on Twitter. I'm we like, follow her. on we Twitter, you, Stephanie. It, well,
1: first of all, if anybody wants to follow Stephanie on Twitter, her handle is yes. Stephanie M. I think it's Pius. Is that how you pronounce it?
0: I, I think so.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm so sorry if I put that. This the first
0: that,
1: time i met her we didn't ask her how to <laughs> say her it. last name.
0: Guys, I to just... know for the listeners, Stephanie was a very big deal in the district that we worked for and all of us her. followed her and just like, she was just so great. And so but this is the first time I've ever actually met her.
1: Yeah. She's so great. So, okay. So her Twitter handle is Stephanie M. Pius. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that, but it's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-M as a Mary P-A-Z. So go give her a follow. If you're wanting to look at what she's doing, I always was like super impressed of like, Everything she tweeted, I remember she'd always like tweet stuff about her classroom and like what her kids were learning and like the safe places that she would create. So she's yeah. just all around a really good human being and really she cares is. about the kids. So so glad that she was on. And yes, that was um, so fun.
0: We have to bring her back. Fun. I love. Yeah, that. we do.
1: Okay, so thank you guys so much for listening um to the podcast today. Again, if you want to share your story, you live in a different state, um. And want to come on our podcast, we would love it. So please email us at spedoris at gmail.com. That's S-P-E-D-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. And
0: Bailey, where can they find us? You can follow us on Instagram at spadoris. We also have a TikTok account where we um, drop a sneak peek of our episodes each time that we drop an episode. And then we do um, drop our episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts every other week. And we will talk to you guys soon. Yeah. Oh, and I just have to say, sad note. Did you not love the TikTok that I did of you for this last (laughs)
1: podcast? (laughs) Um, Yes.
0: I was like, this is a sneak peek. (laughs) Obviously the one thing I say that's absolutely ridiculous is the sneak peek. And I loved it because guys, I am literally, you know how people really? joke around about being a personality hire? I feel like I am the personality podcaster. I'm just like, let me say weird things. And then Hiya <laughs> gonna actually keep this going.
1: <laughs> no, but it's just so funny. It was like, okay, cause I'm in this dating game. And, and then like you, like people just have to go listen to it because she's saying like out of all, of, every single boyfriend that she's had has to help her <laughs> like set up her classes, had to help but like <laughs> but it's one boyfriend, her one boyfriend <laughs> ever. But anyways, so thank you so much for listening. We are so grateful. And um, we'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye, everyone.